Thank you, Lord, for another day. And I didn't hear a sound in my headset, so I'm assuming that means we're not going to have the sound we want. But praise God. We worship you anyway. We trust that you are in control. Uh, thank you for bringing us together today. And uh, open our hearts as we hear from your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You know, when you hear the phrase, you think you know someone, I, I probably the next thing you're expecting to hear is probably some bad story about something somebody did wrong that you thought, you thought you knew them better than that. You know what? Sometimes we get surprised, though, in a good way. I... Uh, and reminded a couple of a couple of people. I'm not. I'm going to avoid using names because I don't want to embarrass myself or them. But uh, I remember a couple of people that uh, I went to church with early on, and you know, I confess I didn't think well of them. I thought oh, this is one particular individual. I thought he's never had any hardship. He's never had anything go wrong in his life. He is. Uh, uh, he, he's got no right to talk to me about anything. Uh, and, and, you know, he, he just, I, I, I just didn't expect anything. I didn't really expect him to do anything. They ended up going off to a foreign country and, and serving as a missionary. Wow. I, and another, another uh, individual very similar, I didn't, I didn't necessarily think poorly of him. I just, he, he had kind of a goofy character and I thought, I, I just really didn't give him a whole lot of thought at all. Now he's dedicated his life to mission work and uh, is doing things that I'll probably never do. What was wrong was not them, it was me. You know, theologians of old, actually, if we... New, and I don't have time to go into it today, but some of the people that we reveal in our church history, uh, even uh, such recent figures as uh, take C.S. Lewis, for example, we all know who he is. Many of us have read and appreciate his work. Uh, he had some pretty uh, unorthodox ideas uh, uh, in, in his theology, things that we wouldn't necessarily agree with. But that didn't invalidate all of the good things that we can appreciate that he said, uh, that he, he shared with us over his life. Point being that none of us is perfect, uh, but that, that, that uh, God gives us all something that can be shared with those around us. But we would rather talk about people than to them. It happens in the workplace, and I'm as guilty as anybody, I still remember uh, one of my one of my early bosses uh, when I first went to work. Uh, I don't want to talk about him even today in a bad way. Let's just say that he wasn't very popular, and I was guilty too. We would just stand, we'd be standing around talking about him. And all the bad things that he did and the way he said to this person and said to that person and, you know, just on and on and on. And then he would come walking through. Dead silence. I was like, you know what? The man's not an idiot. He's got to know. 
that, that there's a reason why ever suddenly nobody's talking. Um, and you know, we we probably could have done things that would uh, have made the situation better. I don't know what that was been. And you know, throughout my career, I, there are those who would say I was one of the ones most notorious for saying stuff that ought not to be said. But it also happens a lot in ministries. It happens a lot in churches. And you know what? It happened to Jesus too. Jesus wants us to know him. He gave us everything that we need in his word. And he wants us to come to him with our confusion. Because there are things that we don't understand. And there are things that we're not going to understand until we meet him. And even maybe not then. But he wants us to bring those things to him. He wants us to be able to talk to him about it. And you know what? If we listen, he'll talk to us too. He promised that his Holy Spirit would guide us into all truth. Today, we are... Oh, I didn't finish my thought here. Praise God. Uh, the thing that he asks of us is simply that we believe. And so now we move in uh, to John chapter 6 that we've been studying. And everybody, I think, is familiar. We've, uh, we've gone over it several times. I think everybody's... But in case we've got listeners that maybe uh, haven't been here through the whole thing, we know that he has just fed the, the 5,000. And he did that for a reason. He, he, uh, he tells us in verse 4, uh, that it was because Passover was coming that he did that. He is setting them up to teach a much greater lesson. It really, as we approach uh, Resurrection Sunday, he's, it's a perfect time to be studying this because uh, though it's not the traditional things that we would study around the, 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 the crucifixion and the resurrection, it points directly to it. And he is making, he's making that case now with what he's done. He's now, then of course, we know that he sent the disciples away. He then walked on the water to join them. And we have that, that first, or not the first, actually, there was another one before that, but we have that, uh, as he got into the boat, he said, I am, do not be afraid. But the crowd goes looking for him. They find him on the other side. He says, you seek, you're looking for me because I fed you, uh, but you need to be looking for something that's deeper than that. Amen. You need to be looking for a food that will last you forever. Amen. And so the lesson continues. And he said, so they ask him, what's the work that we're supposed to be doing? And he said, the work of God is to believe on him who he has sent. And he goes on to tell them, as, was, as we studied last week, the true source was not Moses, it was the Father. 
And Jesus says then, I am the bread of life in verse 35. And he says, anyone who comes to me, I will in no wise cast out. We can take comfort in that. And then finally, I will raise him up on the last day. And at some point during this conversation, the text doesn't tell us when. Uh, It might be here at verse 41 where we're starting today uh, because it starts off with uh, the, 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 uh, the Jews that didn't believe complaining about what he was saying. So it would appear that perhaps that might be where the break is. But at some point this conversation moves and they're no longer on the shore of the lake there where they found him. They're in the local synagogue. Uh, we don't really know when that is. It, it, uh, John is not focused on that. He's focused on the conversation and, w- and what we need to get out of it. So without any further ado, let's go ahead and read the scripture, starting with verse 41 of chapter 6. So then the Jews were complaining about him because he said, I am the bread that came down out of heaven. And they were saying, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How then does he say, I have come down out of heaven? Jesus answered and said to them, stop complaining among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him. And I will raise him up on the last day. As it is written in the prophets, and they shall all be taught of God. Anyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except the one who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you that the one who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down out of heaven, so that anyone may eat of it and not die. I am the bread, I am the living bread which came down out of heaven. And anyone who eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread which I will give for the life of the world also is my flesh. Amen. So we start this out with the Jews basically saying, who does he think he is? They heard what he said. They, 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 it's put together in a single quote there, but they kind of put together several things that he just got through saying. Because he says in verse 33, for the bread of God, which comes down out of heaven and gives life to the world. And then in 35, he says, I am the bread of life. And in 38, he says, I have come down from heaven. So they, they, they put all those pieces together. Pretty obvious what Jesus is saying. And so they took offense. 
because they think that they know his origin. They think that they know who he is. They know his family. Of course, they don't really, but they, they, they suppose that they know. Luke even puts it that way as he gives the lineage down from Joseph in chapter 3, starting in verse 23 of Luke. He, he, he says, being as was supposed, the son of Joseph, which we know that he was, in fact, uh, Joseph was not his father. God was his father. And this is uh, un not unlike the responses that he's gotten and that uh, others record. Matthew chapter 13, verses 54 through 57 records a similar response. So does Mark uh, chapter 6, uh, 2 through 4, probably the same uh, incident there. But in 57, in Matthew 13, 57, uh, is the famous quote that we have of Jesus saying, a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and in his own household. And of course, there may have been other stories. After all, uh, there were those who might have known the circumstances surrounding his birth. Making the idea that he came from heaven that much more repellent because they, they, they don't know the truth. But Jesus answers them now. And he basically says, quit your complaining. Now, one of the things that I think was interesting that, that occurred to me the first time for the first time when I read this is that they have not approached him directly. Now they will. And of course, they've been dialoguing back and forth with him about other things. But here they're not talking to him directly. They're grappling back and forth to each other. And so he basically calls them out and, and says, quit it. You got something to say? Say it to me. And, and so I think he's, he's obviously calling out their unbelief, but I think he's also calling out uh, their uh, improper behavior in this situation. What they're doing is disrespectful. So then in 44, he begins his explanation. And he really simply expands on the things that he's already said. But he does say something new here. He says, no one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him. Now, what does that mean? The implication here seems to be that these people that are uh, arguing with him here, or that are at odds with him, were not called. And that might cause a problem if, 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 if we're inclined to have one, uh, because it doesn't, seem, it doesn't seem right. Well, it shouldn't, shouldn't, isn't everybody called? Well, we do know this. He knows. He is the sovereign God. He is all-knowing. He knows who will be willing to humble themselves and be drawn. So here, we have to rely on the things that we know about God. 
We know that he's sovereign. We know that he's just. And we know that he's loving. And we'll get, uh, I'll come back to that thing just a little bit in verse 45 here in a minute. But Jesus also said this. He said, if I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men unto myself. That's in John 12, 34. And that is the reference there. He's making a reference there to the kind of death that he will die, to be, to be crucified and lifted up on that cross. Then he says, I will raise him up on the last day. Amen. And he says this in this passage four different times. Three other times he said that. In 39 he said it, 40 he said it, 54 he said it. We haven't got there yet, but four, four times. What do we know about repetition? It matters. It means he really wants you to get it. Take comfort in this. Know that he is who he says he is, that he is going to do what he said he was going to do. He wants you to know this. I will raise you up on the last day. Take comfort in it and take courage in it. The Father, the next thing he's say, saying here is that in verse 45 is that the Father did reveal him. The Father revealed him through the words of the Scripture. When he says it was written by the prophet, he is uh, essentially quoting there, they shall all be taught by God, is essentially quoting there from Isaiah chapter 54, verse 13, where Isaiah is speaking of the restoration, restoration rather, of the nation of Israel. And it is preceded, or, or it proceeds 53, which is the chapter that we all know that is the prophecy about Jesus and what is, what's going to happen to him. Now he's put, he, all the pieces are getting put together here. And then you could also look over in Jeremiah chapter 31, uh, 34, where it says this, again, a passage about the restoration of Israel. And he says, They will not teach again each one his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest of them, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their trend. For I will forgive their wrongdoings and their sin I will no longer remember. Amen. Don't let anybody tell you that, that that passage, that passage is very specifically about Israel. So don't let anybody tell you that Israel has been forever rejected. But he says, then everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. So Jesus is now affirming that Old Testament scripture. And saying, look, if you believe this, you'd believe what I'm saying to me. And he said, saying to you. And he says that more clearly in other places. The Father and the Word, through the action of the Holy Spirit, 
draw people to himself. Jesus is our link to the Father. He says, not that anyone has seen the Father. No one's actually, no one's actually seen Father God except for Jesus himself. And John echoes this theme in several places, actually. If you remember back in chapter 1 that we studied, verse 18, it says, no one has seen God at any time. God, the only Son, who is in the arms of the Father, he has explained him. And then again in chapter 14, verse 9, Jesus is speaking and he says, He who has seen me has seen the Father. In another place he said, I and the Father are one. The one who is from God, he has seen the Father. And then he says, the one who believes has eternal life. What is it that we're believing? Well, that we're believing the things that he just said. That Jesus is, in fact, who he says he is. And that what he says is true. And that belief will then express itself in our, express itself in our lives. I am the bread of life, he says. There are, actually there are more than this. There are, there, there are seven that are pointed out, but there, there are actually some others that we've actually talked about already where uh, Jesus uses this construct of I am. But these are the places where it's actually, where he actually says it uh, in those words. There are seven statements in John where he says this, and this is the first of those where he starts out, I am. He says, I am the bread of life after he has fed the 5,000. He says the same thing in 41, 48, 51, whatever, those repetitions again. I am the light of the world, he says, before and after he heals the blind man. 8, 12, and then 9, 5. I am the door of the sheep. The only way in, he says in chapter 10, verse 7 through 9. I am the good shepherd, he says in verse, uh, chapter 10, verses 11. Again in 14. And the shepherd is willing to lay down his life for the sheep. I am the resurrection and the life, he says in 11.25, before he raises Lazarus from the dead. I am the way, the truth, and the life, he says in verse uh, chapter 14, verse 6. I am the true vine, the source of life, he says in chapter 15. And finally, here's a, I said seven, well there's, there's an eighth one that I particularly like because he simply says, before Abraham was, I am. I and the Father are one. Jesus is God. I keep coming back to that because that's one of the most common things that gets challenged. Many of the false religions, that's, that's one of the first things somebody said 
the way you tell a false religion from a true one, what do they do with Jesus? Either Jesus is God or he's not. If he's not, we're all wasting our time. But we know that he is. So then he continues this teaching. Your fathers ate the man in the wilderness, and you know what? They died. That was not meant to sustain them forever. It could only feed their body. In fact, even what Jesus had done the day before, that could only feed their body. What he wants them to do is seek something that's much greater than that. What he wants us to do is seek something that's much greater than that. He wants us to seek him. He said, this is the bread that comes down from heaven so that anyone may eat of it and not die. Making a contrast to that previous statement. This bread, he said, sustains forever. It's not about the earthly body. They're going to have, they're having a hard time getting that. And we're going to see that here as we continue to study. But he says then finally, this is, this is the bread which I will give for the life of the world also. All right, I'm, I'm reading that wrong. The bread that I will give for the life of the world also is my flesh. His body would be broken, although not the bones. That's a whole other teaching. We can get into that later. His body would be broken so that we could be healed, so that we could be saved. His blood would be poured out so that we wouldn't have to die. And it was not only for Israel, not only for the Jewish people, it certainly was for them, but it was also for the entire world. But the hearers of Jesus' message here are still stuck in the, in the material. And as we continue next week, Jesus is going to double down and uh, make it just, just make it that much. It makes me squeamish to read it. But he's, he's, uh, he's driving home the point and he's trying to get them to see, look, this is all metaphor. This is, this is a spiritual thing I'm trying to show you. Get your mind off the physical. Although it's a very physical thing that he's going to do. You know, we, there's a, there's a saying that familiarity breeds contempt. When, when, we, when we think we know somebody, or for one thing, we, uh, uh, we all do have flaws. Jesus was the only one that was perfect. So we get to know somebody, we start to know what's wrong with them too. And it becomes harder then for us to, to take them seriously because uh, well, we, we sort of know, we know about the blemishes. We know about the things that aren't quite right. And Jesus obviously didn't have any of those, but these people thought that they knew him. They thought they knew where he came from. Some of them probably thought they knew the circumstances of his birth weren't quite right. And so they don't, they don't respect him. Now we know who you are. And so they couldn't hear his message. 
And even the fact that he's done miracles in front of them doesn't change their minds. But the question that we might ask ourselves is, are we too familiar with the Jesus that we think we know? We've got pictures that supposedly depict him, but they don't look anything like he did. He's not white, neither is he black. He probably didn't have long hair. We know he had a beard. That's about all we know. He was a Nazarene, not a Nazarite. The movies that we see certainly don't tell us who he is. Some are better than others. I've seen some pretty good ones lately. Some of them are downright blasphemous. But the sad thing is that too many churches aren't really telling us who he is. They give us a Jesus that has love without judgment, but love requires judgment. They give us a Jesus that's like a genie in a bottle and grants you anything you want. They give us a Jesus that is something less than God. Or maybe it's, sometimes it's our own perceptions, our own ideas that don't tell us who he really is. Jesus, however, defines himself. And that definition is given to us in his word. We are supposed to be, sometimes, what, what about his representatives? We're all supposed to be his representatives. But as we've already said, we're not perfect. And sometimes we reject each other because we see those flaws. And even though we know that the only one without flaws is Jesus himself, now... I say that, but then I want to say, too, that we're right to oppose false teaching. But even there, we ought to take great care in how we do it. It's not an accusation. It, it, I've heard people call people false teachers. And I suppose if you're teaching something that's false, I, you know, maybe that makes you a false teacher. But that term means a whole lot more than having a couple of things wrong. Uh, that term implies that you are deliberately teaching a false gospel, something that is other than the truth, uh, the core truth of the gospel. And that's an accusation we ought not to make lightly. There are many concepts in theology that honest people can disagree about. If we must attack, and sometimes we must, be sure and attack the idea, not the person. And be willing to hear the truth from flawed sources. Otherwise, you're not going to hear any truth at all. Test them against the flawless standard. God and his word. And then, as my dad used to say, 
or I guess still might say, he's still around. Don't be a grumble grunt. You know, the, the unbelieving Jews there had a problem with what Jesus was saying. But they didn't come to him and, uh, directly to talk about it, to, to talk it through with him. Why are you saying these things? Instead, they were complaining to each other. Jesus called them out. But we tend to do the same kind of thing. Uh, whether it's in our families, whether it's at work, or even at church. When we don't like what somebody is doing or saying, we complain to each other. But this, you know, it really doesn't help. It doesn't certainly doesn't stop what they're saying or doing. And not only that, it causes division. And it causes uh, resentment to grow. It, it feeds all of the wrong things. Even if whatever the person's doing is truly wrong, we're not fixing it that way. We're just making the, we're just making the things worse. And it, not only that, it's a, it's a disrespectful thing to do to somebody. We should instead be engaging the individual directly. Maybe they explain themselves more fully and maybe we realize we don't have a problem at all. Uh, we might find out that we misunderstood. Or we might still disagree, but hopefully we can do so from a position of respect. But I'll tell you one thing for sure. It is not recommended to disagree with Jesus. And finally, the, the true message, the message that John tells us that was the reason why he wrote this gospel, so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. Do you believe? Yes. Have you acted on that belief? If not, whether you're here or out there in the wide world somewhere, now's the time. So thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you that you've shown us in so many ways throughout the scripture who you are. And I'm just loving peeling back the layers here and seeing how, how you've done it in, in, in the Gospel of John. But it's all through your word. So thank you. And Lord, it is my fervent prayer that anyone who, who might hear this today or even sometime in the future, we record these, that, uh, that they would make that decision to say, Lord, I'm sorry. I know I've sinned. I want you, I know that you died for my sin and that you rose from the grave and I want you to come in and be my Lord. Thank you, Lord, that you gave us that opportunity by what you did on that cross. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.